Hello everyone, this is your creativity cocktail. I am pleased to have a wonderful Emily Emily McLean with us today. Emily, what's up? Hello, hey Winston. It's so good to see you. I'm gonna get one of these things one day that have like these awesome sound effects that when somebody comes on, you know, like back on a tonight show or something, bing! <laughs> Emily has arrived. Nice. <laughs> Emily and I uh, met each other through, we're in several uh, groups here in Atlanta in regards to writing and developing and creating awesome work. So as I saw Emily's stuff, I said, Emily, you would be a fantastic guest for the Creativity Cocktail. So we are really pleased to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm really ex just wonderful to get to talk writing and creativity and I love that. So That's happy. Awesome. <laughs> so we are going to jump right in. We're going to obviously have time to talk about all the fantastically amazing fire dope stuff that Emily is up to. But we're going to talk real quick about tools that Emily uses when she's ready to get creative. And yeah. so hopefully for those of you who are out there who are listening to us today or later, you'll get some great things from that. So Emily, when you're ready to get going, you're like, I got to write this. I got to do this. What kind of tools, whether it's software or environments? or other things you use to get yourself ready to go? Uh, so I love to write to instrumental music. And so one of the first like sort of pre-writing activities that I do is I build like a playlist on Spotify. Um, and so I will have for a work in progress, I'll have the, the songs that kind of like I, when I want to be in my zone to write. And so I have those. Um, a lot of times with, it'll be like period time period kind of music because I write a lot of historical dramas and stuff like that and other times it's just like I just want some good chill you know music kind of almost to focus against right, right. like that that idea um I tend to shy away from stuff with lyrics but some people really like don't mind having the lyrics but I I go for like film scores I tend to gravitate towards that kind of um that kind of vibe or just like instrumental covers of pop songs that's another one and then the um uh lullaby rock a baby I think it's what it's called but it's like lullaby type versions of like the Beatles or Nirvana or whatever so it's know. it's recognizable songs but not necessarily in a um in a format that you're used to hearing them. So. Nirvana. Oh, you mentioned that. Um, yeah. I'm ready to get get going. Smells like teen spirit. That's it. I'm ready to get going. There you go. There you <laughs> that go. Is, that's the deal. And, you know, you mentioned about, uh, about classical music. Mm -hmm. And I listen to people, I don't know if you call them classical classical, but they're relatively new. So, for example, when I'm ready to go, Max Richter. Is a oh, yeah. Yeah. Dustin O'Halloran, who's a piano pian pianist. Okay, um, I don't know him. I'll have to check him out. Yeah, and uh, the wonderful Philip Glass, who's done lots of scores. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, he's yes. he's on my list for sure. Philip Glass. It, it's that wonderful, like the repetitiveness of it. Yeah. It's very comforting. Yes, I, I tell you, my family—they're always like, because you know, I got little speakers around the house, and they're always like, "Oh, he's writing again," because there's a bunch of <laughs> Philip Glass. <laughs> Max Richter in every room. <laughs> like, what is going on with this guy? Yes, but it, just gets, yeah. it just gets me going. Some of the older classical stuff that sometimes that's sometimes it works, but sometimes it's challenging. 
So yeah. like, uh, like some Baroque stuff is great mm -hmm. you know, for me. Um, and then some classical stuff like Ave, what's it called, Ave Maria, those kind of things. Oh, sure, yeah. But, but, but sometimes it's too much. It, 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 and then sometimes I just need some kind of hardcore hip-hop rock, depending on my mood, to get yes. going. Yeah, so, um, I think that that's what I really like. I listen to a lot of uh, Ramin Jawadi, who is the composer. He did Game of Thrones, and he did yeah. Westworld, um, all of those scores, and that's just, he's awesome. And it's very much that energy. Um, and I wrote uh, a play, Copper Angel, and I, I didn't intend to, but while I was listening um, to the piano work of Eric Satie, um, mm -hmm. which is just wonderful, but it was uh, very much of that time period. And it actually worked its way into the, into the play. So like I mentioned ah. specific Satie pieces that kind of correspond with different moments, almost like I was scoring it. And I'd never done that before, but that totally came from, the, the music that I was listening to while I was researching and writing that play. That's awesome. So, so what do you use to write with? So I'm, I'm pretty basic. I do a lot of my first draft work in just Google Docs. Um, I, I had, you know, got burned um, pretty badly when a, when a laptop died and I lost a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so I'm a cloud-based now for, for all of my, <laughs> all of my work. Um, but I do format in, in Google Docs, um, pretty simply, I find that that works, you know, just for those first drafts. And then when I want to get fancier, or if I'm doing like a screenplay, which has much more rigid uh, formatting stuff, I use Arc Studio. So they have a free version. Um, it's pretty handy. And then I do just the basic, you know, paid version. I'm not familiar with that one. Say that one again. Arc Studio, A-R-C uh, in the studio. Oh. Um, and they, it's just, I think they are kind of a, like, similar to Final Draft or, you know, some of the, the more, I guess, expensive versions, kind of the budget-friendly yeah. version of that. But it's it's real user-friendly and has a nice, you know, for me anyway, a workflow that, that I find is very functional. But yeah. honestly, and I tell my students this too, like... When you're with theater, with scripts anyway, the formatting is is about the legibility of of what you're what you're wanting to have happen. There's not necessarily there are some guidelines, but it's not like screenplay where it's it's so formula. You know, it must be this many inches in from the margin or whatever that they that they've got with that kind of stuff. Um, there's a little bit more flexibility. And I think it's probably to to everybody's benefit if you're writing that you find something that's like functional for you and that you feel like represents your your style on the page. I mean, don't get you know crazy with fonts or whatever. Keep it legible, but yeah, that it is. It's a reflection of you as a as an artist too. That's awesome. Uh, that is a great message for those of you who are listening. I think Emily's overarching message is like start writing, <laughs> like <laughs> yes. go and get start writing. Uh, yeah. I use a tool for many years. It's probably a third of the cost of Final Draft called Scrivener. And, yes, uh, yeah, I know some folks who use Scrivener and really like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's just great because it allows me to do like like brain kind of dumps, where mm. if there's a character, so if I think of my character as a certain person, I can link an avatar or a picture to them, and then I got nice. like. Like uh, post-it notes, and it's pretty cool. And they've gotten better over time, so they've gotten cloud-based too. Where there's a version, you know, that's on my um, my desktop or laptop, 
but then it also syncs with the version on my iOS devices. So it, it's been got it's gotten that way. So yeah. you mentioned you mentioned about you being um, an educator. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that. For yes. Me. Yeah, let's talk about So, uh, I mean, that's really been my my main career. Um, I will be starting my 16th year of teaching theater in the fall. Um, I've been mainly with high school um, or the whole time. Um, I've been in Gwinnett County um, since I started teaching in 2005. And, um, and then I was at Buford City Schools for two years, but now I'm back in Gwinnett. So. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. it's hugely like that's that's what I wanted. That's what I need to be doing. You know, it's like what my, where my passion is. I mean, I love to help find their voice and find not only like what they might want to do as a coordinate, and I love that part of it. But um, I also just love being. A, a home for you know I mean I jokingly call it like the island of misfit toys right like it's it is the the place and it's very common for kids who are maybe like not great at sports or not necessarily sure what they want to do they just want to kind of be involved in some way and building that community um, and a lot of times those kids are the ones that kind of find that like this is something that ignites their passion and they are excited about being a part of a creative community. Um, and I love that. That's my favorite part. When you, were, when you were in high school, were you big into theater or did mm-hmm. you have to Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I did, I mean, I did theater, I did chorus. Um, I was just kind of a, a fine arts nerd. Um, you know, my, uh, my poor dad, like he talked me into playing two seasons of, of softball. Um, I was in like middle school and like he, he was like, come on, just give it a try. Just give it a try. And oh, I hated it. I mean, not only did I hate it, I was terrible at it as well. Um, and so after two seasons of it, he was like, okay, you gave it a try. I, I, you know, <laughs> this is not your thing. And that's so, like my, um, that's like my football coach in high school. He was like, well, Winston, you're not faster than anyone, you're not bigger than anyone. But the one thing you do know is, you know, everybody's position and you know, everywhere you can play. So, uh, I was like, what you call it? The uh, utility knife. Anytime mm-hmm. to do stuff. But I grew up and I was known for being an artist. You know, yeah. I, I was one of those kids that went into art class and one of the few students who didn't need any instruction. Nice. My art preferred, my art teacher just said, hey, do what you want to do. And mm-hmm. then at the end, and whenever I finished whatever my work was, he would just say, hey, well, here's some thoughts on this. And then I get a grade. Yeah. And, um, that that's always really been a thing that's uh, sparked me. Mm-hmm. It's great to go. Being an educator seems to be such a rewarding thing. I have so many family members that are educators, and I aspire to be an educator in my next season of my mm-hmm. career because I've had a chance to talk at universities, at the University of Alabama and Kennesaw and Strayer and Life College and all of these different yeah. places, and it seems to be such a rewarding life that you've got there. You know, it really it can be, um, you know, it was I had kind of a a rough time um, for a little while. And because I had I'd never done anything else, I'd never been anything other than theater teacher. And then all of a sudden, like that went away. 
And then I had kind of a, and I mean, it was, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic too. So like there was, everybody was kind of in the same boat of like, what are we doing? Everything has kind of stopped. Um, but for me, it was also that like this career and the way that I kind of defined myself also kind of went away and I wasn't sure, am I going to be able to ever go back to this, um, and do it again. And so with that, like processing all of that and figuring out that, I can define myself, I still do define myself as an educator, even if I'm not attached to a school or attached to a particular program. And so that was really helpful. And then ultimately, I did find my way back and and I'll be back in the classroom in the fall. Um, And I'm really, really grateful and happy for that. But I also think going forward, I know that that's a part of who I am, regardless of like, where I might be doing that. You know, I was very fortunate to work with um, Essential Theater. They sort of set up uh, online playwriting um, classes. And so I got to do that. And so I was still teaching even through even through the pandemic. And even though I was technically like not formally employed um, at a school system. And so that that was super helpful. That's Peter Hardy and that that group at Essential Theater. Mm -hmm. I tell you, I I do want to ask you about, you know, it seems like it was a challenge for everybody, obviously, the pandemic, but it seems like there, it was a unique challenge for you in the theater world. But I do wanted to take a moment yeah. for us to really thank some of the groups that we're part of. Yes, yes. Um, you know, one is Merely Writers, which is mm-hmm. led by Dan Guyton and Joni um, McElroy. McElroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just been great for us to be part of that group. You mentioned uh, Peter Hardy, and um, I wanted to talk about real quick the Dramatist Guild, which we're both yes. part of. We just recently completed the end of play. You are way more prolific than I was, and I consider myself Ooh. pretty prolific <laughs> getting stuff going. So, so talk about the end of play, and it looks like you've got something that's ready to go from that. Talk about that. Sure. So, uh, my the way that um, Dramatist Guild sets up end of play is that they um, ask for participants to kind of set set a goal, like when you to finish a, a full length play or to revise an existing play in the month of of April. And so um, everybody's kind of working together, and it's really nice to get to kind of feel like everybody's in the same boat. Everybody is because writing is really lonely. It can be, um, and really isolating and so to have everybody kind of building together that's why we dig the music Emily because we we, (laughs) can be a solitary pursuit sometimes (laughs) for sure and um and so the the end of play process for me I'm working on um a risk theater uh tragedy and I got um about mm, I would say 45 pages uh into it and um I was really I was kind of struggling and so for a full length play you know you want it to end up being around mm, 85 to 100 right is is kind of your page length that you're shooting for and I was just like oh my gosh I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this or you know finish and I got kind of stuck and I set it down um for a day and I ended up writing a little like stupid (laughs) 10 minute play um about a woman eating an orange on the subway. Um, And it was just to have that little like breather to get completely away from everything else. And just like, and so for two days, I just wrote this little 
silly play about a woman eating an orange on the subway and another woman like trying to ask her for uh, to have a slice of it. And um, that little break, I was able to kind of reset and I came back and I scrapped about 30 of the pages that I'd written. And then I just wow. wrote and like powered through the whole rest of the first draft. And so I finished the first draft of the play. So I got to about 80 something pages um, in about five days. So before it's the not, midpoint. That's not April. even 80 pages. It's more than 80 <laughs> when you add up the ones you discarded. I mean, that's a lot of pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was sad. It's always hard to, you know, get rid of stuff that you've written. Um, but it was just, I was writing in a direction and it was taking the play somewhere that wasn't productive. And so you kind of have to cut you know, the, the dead weight and, and move on somewhere else. So who knows? I mean, those, I always, uh, I guess I should save this, I guess, for the tips section, but I always have a file whenever I'm working on a piece that I call the, the play title junk drawer. And so like, for example, this one is called rock in a hard place. And so rock in a hard place, junk drawer. And I just like took the, the pages that I cut and I put them in the junk drawer. And so they're not gone. Um, they're there. And if I need to come back to them, I can, but they don't bog down the current draft anymore. Yeah. So. I wrote a play where I had a reading for it last, um, last <laughs> June and it was sitting on the shelf for over 10 years. And, yeah. um, it had the ultimate play was a regular full length play. But when I looked at all of the scenes that I had written for it, I've written more than double the amount of scenes that actually was in the final mm -hmm. version. Oh, yeah. And then all kinds of scattered thoughts that was inside of there, all kinds of little tidbits. And sometimes it has to do that. Sometimes the plays tell us when they're ready. Yes, 100%. Oh, my God, yeah. No, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And you never know what is going to be, what is going to be beneficial to you. The other nice thing about End of Play is that they sent out, like, um, little email, you know, prompts or questions. And I didn't, I didn't do all of them, but some of them, like there was one where it was like, um, have your character talk about, um, tell someone why they love them, you know? And so it was just like, pick a character in your work in progress and have them speak about why they love them. And so I, I picked, um, the father character in my play, Alan, who is, um, he's incarcerated. And so he's wanting to tell, um, his, you know, ex-wife, why he still loves her and all of that. And it's not in the play. It has no, you know, relevance, but just to get to get inside Alan's mind in a way really helped me understand him better. And so he, he was so much easier to write because of that exercise. Um, gotcha. um, and I think just being, it's hard. I'm very, I'm very goal oriented, you know, and it's like that, that idea of like, I need to stay focused and, and, and achieve something. But then sometimes with writing, you have to be like, I'm just, I'm going to play and I'm going to just see what happens. And it's not so goal oriented. It's about this exploration and kind of getting to know who these people are that you've created. Yeah. You know, that's such a great comment. I have a friend of mine who's an actor and he mentioned that same thing about play. Like well, that when he's ready to go to an audition, for example, instead of getting bogged down with what this is and how is it going to work, et cetera, he says he just goes in and he's just playing. Mm -hmm. 
he's just having fun with it. And that's probably the reason why he gets booked a lot, because I guess they, they can that really energy see, for sure. Yeah, you can see that authentic self inside of him when he's auditioning versus something that seems very contrived or something yeah. that he said, oh, my gosh, I got to get this part. I got to get this part. And, you know, yeah. I think that casting people can see that. And he's just like, I'm just going to play. And and that's the same way I think with writing. Like you're to mm-hmm. your, you, you made such a fantastic point. Is that sometimes we just gotta have fun in it. I yes. tell you, for me, the the best work, in my opinion, that I ever do is ones that make me laugh, makes me get emotional, it makes mm-hmm. me get mad. If all three of those elements are there, then then I think I yes. got. Yes. Yeah. I think I got. So who you you've been doing this your whole career? It sounds like. At this point, who are some of your people that you look to, whether they're close to you, whether they're people that are in the world or people from long ago? Who gets Emily like when you read something or you hear something or you talk to them, you go, that person energizes me. Yeah, um, I well, I, I'm lucky enough. Like I'm in Mary Writers. Um, I'm also in working title playwrights um, here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and Yes, yeah, and, Hank and, and, and Amber Bradshaw. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and Quinn Xavier Hernandez, they're all just such supportive um, artists. And so I'm really grateful to, to have that community. And then um, back in August of last year, um, a friend of mine named Steve Martin, who is a, not that Steve Martin, but um, he's a playwright. <laughs> he's um, a wild and, he's, and crazy guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but he started just kind of an online community um, to go along with uh, 31 for 31. So in August of last year, it was uh, right 31 um, 30, 31 pages in 31 days. And it was one of those little like, you know, prompts and challenges and that kind of thing. Um, and so he got a group of us that were all sort of on Twitter, um, kind of, you know, playwrights and we would see each other's names and that that kind of thing. Um, but he got us all together and we have like a little Facebook group and, um, to be able to like form relationships with, with, artists and writers who are all kind of doing the same thing, but are very geographically distant, you know, like we've never met in person ever. Um, but we feel like we read each other's work and we give feedback. Um, and it's been, you know, just hugely helpful. Um, and I've been so inspired by the work that they, that they do and getting to read their pieces in progress and hear, kind of what they're what they're working on um as far as like I guess like grown-up real playwrights um that I love um I am a huge 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 fan of Lauren Gunderson uh who is an Atlanta uh native um although she's out in California now but um she is just such an inspiring playwright and an activist and what she what she does with her work I I aspire to that as well um, and I love Sarah Rule, and of course, you know Paula Vogel. Um, I really Dominique Morso. Um, all of these like wonderful women playwrights who who are just changing the form um, and being very fearless in in the things that they do. Um, one of the things I love this story about Paula Vogel. So she was the reader for the Yale Drama uh, Playwriting Award this year. 
And one of the things that she did when she came on and was sort of the lead, you know, evaluator for that project um, is she said all of these ridiculous formatting and structure requirements and all of these, you know, just onerous things that you're asking people to do. This is garbage and it's pointless. You need to get rid of it. And it <laughs> and everybody, I mean, for, for years, people have complained about the Yale requirements because they are, I mean, it's it's probably, I think, six pages worth of just very like detailed, like it must be this font, it must be this size, it must, you know, be these margins, the page numbers must be exactly, you know, a half an inch from the edge of the upper right hand corner. I mean, just all this nonsense. And it took somebody who has like Paula Vogel's clout to tell Yale, like, this is, this is junk. Stop doing this to people. And um, the only requirement now for the Yale drama uh, competition is that it must be typed. That's fantastic. So, I, I yeah. love that kind of thing because you know a lot of times we try to make boxes for ourselves. Yes. And make boxes for others. Mm -hmm. And so creativity that seems like every time I hear something like that that's trying to do that, it like all of a sudden my skin crawls. It's it is like unnecessary gatekeeping. You know, to like, we're going to put up all these hoops that are going to give us a reason not to read your work. You know, like what, well, it could be a brilliant play, but your page numbers were too far from the edge. So out it goes, you know, and that's yeah. just, that's not the nature of, of art. And that's not the nature of like what we're, what we're creating as, as a work. And so I was really, I was so like proud that she did that as to stand up to to Yale. I mean, she's basically the only person probably that could have done it. <laughs> you know, so, so well, they're well, certainly not going to listen to all of us that have been complaining about it for years. But <laughs> that's right. So while you were talking a little bit about that, I was sharing some of the things that you've been up to. Yeah. And one of which was that I'll be sharing right now is this new play exchange. Yes. Um, so tell us a little quickly about that one. Yes. It, okay. This is this is a major, it is both a tool and a tip. So it fits <laughs> in both. Um, but if you are a writer of, of any kind, whether it's, um, you know, for stage or for, for screen or whatever, I really recommend um, new play exchange. It's, um, you know, I think the basic membership is um, like, I don't know, $12 a year, $15 a year, something like that. But it is this wonderful community of, of writers. And um, you get on and you can read, you can post. I mean, you can see that um, on, the, on the page, that's all my stuff there. Um, and you can talk a little bit about each of the plays. But then one of the really amazing things about New Play Exchange is the idea of like reading and recommending people's work. So, um, you, you know, when someone posts something on new play exchange, if you're a member, you can download it and you can read it and then you can go back on and recommend it. And you can talk about like what you liked about it and why other people should, should read it. Or a lot of times too, the recommendations are like, this would be great for, uh, you know, high school theater festival, or this would be great for college, or this would be really awesome for community theater, or, you know, this is super edgy. If you've got like a festival that's about, you know, dealing with, with issues of addiction, or this would be great if you're wanting to talk about, you know, domestic violence or, or something more serious and heavy, or this is like super lighthearted. It would be great for, you know, a Christmas 10 minute play festival or whatever. So it's really this like living, 
um, playwrights that are able to like, if you're starting out or if you are, I guess, like sort of mid-career or emerging, I think is what we call it now, um, so that you, you can kind of get your name out there. Um, and it is important. It is a community and it's pro-social behavior, right? So like if you want people to read your stuff, you need to go and read people's stuff. Um, and, and kind of be a member and participate in, in that function, you know, um, and I love it. I, I mentioned my, the, the online group that I'm in, like we, we are prolific on new play exchange as far as like reading people's stuff, recommending, I've met so many wonderful people's work through new play exchange. So and you can be, um, you don't necessarily have to be a writer either. Like, I think it's really good for actors. Um, you can yeah. get a reading membership and then it's just like a source of material for you. So if you're looking for something new for auditions and you, there are lots of monologues and things that are written and you just, it's really easy to contact a playwright and be like, Hey, I would like to do this for an audition. Do you mind, you know, whatever can I send you? Can I Venmo you $5 or whatever? Um, right. And then, you know, you have this, this wonderful piece that's not going to be overdone. It's not somebody doing Star Spangled Girl for the nine millionth time or whatever. Right, right. I, I, I was sharing when I was sharing that, I was saying to myself, my gosh, what a compendium of work that you've got out there. And I'm sure many of the other writers are the same way. And, and that's an exciting thing to have yeah. a community like that, like that. I wanted to really just jump in and talk about just writing in the creative world itself. And so right. at any point when anyone's listening to this, if they're listening to this six months from now or right now, the, the pandemic has obviously had an effect on us, not just our writing, but just us as people, right? It's just, we're just not the same, whether you're five years old or 65 years old. We've been transformed by this whole thing a little bit. In some cases, a lot, depending mm -hmm. on how you've been personally affected by it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because this is this is an interesting time for us as creators. It is. You know, where we just have to really rally around each other and others. Knowing yes. that creating great work is one way for we as human beings to not, ex not just to escape per se, but for us to kind of tell the story about what's going on. Yeah. The, I mean, writing um, has been the way that I've tried to, I guess, process what's, what's all, you know, been going on. I mean, this, the past two, the, I mean, the past year, 2020 and now into 2021, it's been tumultuous and emotional and there's been loss and there's been um, heartache. And, you know, I mean, there's just, so much that is is going on and it's just kind of overwhelming and so early in the, the very early stages of the pandemic a lot of what I was doing was writing to escape and so it was like the world is very much um it's very scary and out of control and I can't deal with that and so I'm going to do something that I can control and so I'm going to write yeah. and I have I am, you know, this like the, the utter control over this environment of, of the world that I'm creating on the page. Um, but then as it dragged on, it got harder, you know, to to find the things that I was exciting, excited about and, and igniting that that passion. And I went through, you know, a couple of months where I was just it was very hard to do anything um, in the late 
you know, fall of last year. And so that was why it was really grateful, like able to, to find a community um, that, that I could talk to and, and be inspired by and not have the pressure of um, trying to create something big. You know, in that, in that month of August, I wrote, I wrote one page plays, one minute plays. Um, I didn't try to write anything that had a longer story. I just was sort of like, okay, I'm going to sit down. What am I thinking today? And it almost became kind of like a journal um, of, you know, what was going on. And to go back and, and look at those pieces now, you know, they're not, um, they're not anything that like I would ever want to show or to put on new play exchange or whatever. Um, but more so it was really healing for me, um, just to kind of get it out of my head onto the page and look at it and, and to be able to let it go. So a lot of those, you know, the frustrations, um, feeling, very limited by like, you know, what I could do, what I wanted to do from like a, a social uh, justice kind of standpoint, feeling so helpless about, um, you know, what, what I could control in, in the larger world or how I could contribute to that and just feeling, feeling very limited in, in my scope um, and being very scared about the future. You know, I have two, um, I have two small children and seeing them, have to start school digitally um, in the fall. That was really, that was a huge adjustment mm -hmm. for us and for our family. And um, it just, that, that really weighed on me and drained me of a lot of, um, I guess, my uh, creative positivity. It was mm -hmm. very, very hard um, mm -hmm. in those. And so that work, working through that, um, you know, and, and I'm still, I mean, it's, it's still hard sometimes, but I think, getting uh, the new year, um, new administration, the vaccine, all of those things that are trying to like find that silver lining and, and getting mm -hmm. back as, bright, as the world. Kind horizon. Of, yeah. Like a brighter mm -hmm. horizon for all of us. Right. Right. You know, yeah. you said some things there that was really, I, I, for those of you who are listening to us, I hope you hear some of these things that Emily is sharing. And one thing that I kind of connected with really deeply was this thought of control. We as human beings, we try to, we know that we cannot control everything in our environment, but we try to. And so no matter where you are, you've tried to do something. Sometimes people try to control their environment by getting involved in some kind of vice. Mm. Sometimes they, can, they try to do it by being angry or abusive to somebody. And sometimes for others, it's like us, we try to create. And the hard part, to your point, and you use the word helplessness in there. And I was saying to myself that for anybody who's out there listening, they gotta have that feeling. Like you can't control what occurred to us per se directly. None of us can, right? We didn't create the thing <laughs> that's going on. Um, we didn't even create the response to it. You know, it's just, this has been a tricky thing for us all to navigate through as human beings. But the, the last part that you said about us having a community where we're really rallying around each other is like the key element to this whole thing. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why human beings like to be around community. There's yeah. a reason why they put prisoners in solitary confinement because they know that those kind of things have an adverse effect. And my thought, and I don't know how you feel about this, is that this is something that's going to linger for a period of time. I know there's going to be a roaring 2020s. All of us as creators, we're going to be creating stuff all over the place. There's going to be mm -hmm. phenomenal stuff there. 
but it's going to be a psychic effect on and a physiological effect on us on the shorter term for us to deal with this as time has gone on. A lot of things that's happened in the world, we still have the effect of it. We still feel the effect of wars of decades ago. Yeah. Or for things like slavery, we still have these psychological, psychic things mm-hmm. that have been embedded in us. And this pandemic is one of them. Yeah, This is not one of those, you know, for example, I personally still feel the effect of the 2008 recession. <laughs> and that yes. was that was small potatoes compared to what we're dealing with these days. And those things aren't going away. And I think that this is something that we, me, you, and everyone else who's out there who's a creator, we, we have like a responsibility. <laughs> That's so interesting too, because there was a big, a big push, a lot of like sort of um, um, playwright Twitter kind of don't write the pandemic place. Like don't do that. Like write something else, right? People don't want to, people don't want to hear about anything with 2020. They want to do, they want new stories, but they don't want to like, you know, hear about the pandemic. And then there was kind of a pushback to that um, attitude was like, no, people, you write the play you want to write. And if you're moved to talk about something that's happened or to explore something within this, you know, theatrical form that reflects on, on the pandemic and on 2020 or on any of the things that happened, like that's valid and you need to do that and don't tell people what to write. That's exactly <laughs> you know? right. And that's kind of where I land too. It's like, you may not get produced. Like, I don't know. I don't know what audiences when they're able, when they feel comfortable coming back to live theater, what they're going to be interested in seeing, but I hope it's new work. I hope it's new stories. And I hope it's, it's a, a more diverse panel of voices that are going to get to be showcased and we won't, um, you know, it's interesting you brought up the, the 2008 recession, something that happened on Broadway after that, as the recovery happened, is there was a huge push for revivals. So there was a huge, this idea of like, we want something that is a safe bet, that is bankable stars, and that is a familiar story that people yes. are going to come out and That's see. Cool. And I wonder... As we come out of the as we come out of the pandemic and all the shutdown and all that for professional theater, what if that's going to happen again, or if there has been a, a seismic change in the landscape and now it's like no, we do want we want something exciting. We want so we want to be challenged. Um, so I hope I hope it's the latter. Personally, I'm not super excited about another season of you know. Yeah. Oklahoma, no David, Oklahoma, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, my, my opinion is that, and that's what probably because I'm biased this way is this: this new work is just fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. I have a friend who wrote a play associated with the Tulsa massacre from a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, yes. and it got such a well response. Since then, there's been since then there's been some other things that have popped up. So, for example. There were some stories in The Watchmen, and it was like a TV show. And then that, and there was a show on HBO that kind of talked about it. So it's been a lot of stuff that's come out after that. But her story was new. And a lot of times as new creators, you're right, there, there's this push, this kind of orbit that we have to get around to get our work done. Whereas, you know, we can see the 105th different way of, telling Hamlet. <laughs> so yes. as opposed to saying, all right, let's find a place for new work to happen. Mm-hmm. And your comment about the pandemic, 
had, the play I talked about earlier that I had written many years ago, mm-hmm. it was a response to how I felt about New York and Soho and the East Village coming out of 9-11. And then when it talked to me last year, it told me that, hey, talk about what the horizon would look like post-pandemic. And then that was the moment to do it. That was a moment to mm-hmm. do the reading again. And the story was one of people dealing with the after impacts, the psychological impacts of what that would mean to a family, to a group of friends, to a city, to Mm -hmm. a community, all of those things. And it wasn't overt in a way. It's just people. Um, So this has been fantastic, Emily. You are awesome. I'm going to ask you a very couple of hard questions here. Got it. I'm ready. First question is, will you return to the creativity cocktail? Of course. This has been wonderful. I love hearing you talk and I'd be happy to come back anytime you'll have me. So that's a little, that was the softball. <laughs> and, and the other one is, is that when we created this, this platform and this show, we really wanted to do this because we know that there's creators right now that are just sitting in there wherever and they're like hurting for all the stuff we talked about today. But they're also saying to themselves, I don't know if I can do this. I'm 70 years old or I'm 17. And they're like, I don't know when's the place to start. I don't know what to do, how I should do this. I don't want to do this. Somebody's telling me to do something and trying to put me in a box, but Mm -hmm. they know that they're not. They know that they're creative. And you're talking to them, I'm not here. I'm not here. You're there. They're on this other side of the screen. You're having this conversation with them. And you give them some bit of advice. Um, what's, yeah. what's the first and second thing you tell them? So the first thing that I would say is that I'm, I'm affirming that, that place that they're in, that like self-doubt and, and feeling like you're not good enough or that, that it's not going to ever happen for you. Like that is that is part of it, and that is part of the process. And even um, even people who who you think maybe have these really like hugely successful careers and have that kind of stuff, like it is it is part of where they are too. Because I think as an artist, you always have doubts about is this right? Is this what I want to do? Is this the way that I need to be telling the story and expressing myself? Um, and so listening to those doubts, but not letting them dictate what you do and what you say. Um, I have a a playwright mentor that I admire so much. Her name is Emma Goldman Sherman. And um, she talks about the inner critic a lot and that you have to silence the inner critic. And when you can't silence the inner critic, you have to give them something to distract them. And so (laughs) she, she talks about like, having the argument with the inner critic or the discussion with the inner critic of I'm just playing that I'm just writing today. And what I create today is probably going to go in a file and never be seen again, but I'm not judging myself. And so you can't judge me, you know, saying that to, to that voice in your head. That's like, you don't need to do this. You're not good enough. All of that kind of stuff. And that just is, that's been hugely transformative for me to, to change the way that I think about that, that self doubt and that inner critic voice of um, you create things because you have this impulse to create and what you create is is what what you want to do um, and then finding a, finding an audience for that that's a separate step right, right. so it's it's the important thing 
for you as a creative person is to is to do something for yourself first. Write the play you want to see. Write the story you want to tell. Write the poem you want to write. Um, you know, make the piece of art that you enjoy looking at or that you need to make and let that be the the success. Don't measure it on what how many people you know like it on npx or you know whatever yeah i have a book that i'm trying to look at i was trying to look at my bookshelf but my glasses aren't that great and it talks about to write your life and to write the story that's based on your life mm, um, yeah yeah and and that's just how it is sometimes we as creators we're like well let's create a fantastical sci-fi story with world building and all that you should do that but it still can be your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it still can be, you know, those are components and what hurts you, what drives you, what makes what what you have fun in. All of those things can be a component of it. Yeah. You know, it's been awesome to have you, Emily. One thing that I I wanted to tell you is that um, I want to thank you for your comments around. I know you do some work with uh, the MS Society. Yes. And uh, um, I think there was a run to support that. Mm-hmm. I'm going into month nine since I've had my diagnosis of MS. Yeah. And um, it's a whole new world of learning and understanding and community that I've had to deal with. If you had asked me 12 months ago, I had a very cursory knowledge of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much to dig into. It, it's, a, it's a snowflake kind of disease. Yes. Yeah. Where, where no one's got the same exact symptoms. Um, and it's been amazing to see that my community has been there. And that that's just given me fuel to know that, hey, that me being diagnosed with MS was just a trigger. Just a thing that says, hey, go make some more stuff. Get Emily on the podcast. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and do some things that were great. So I want to thank you. I know you've been involved in that kind yeah. of work. I've had, um, I have a very dear friend who had a diagnosis um, and she was, you know, my age and a, and a teacher and um, she's had it, uh, her diagnosis since um, 2013. Um, and so it's, you know, been something I'm, I'm very passionate about, um, you know, raising money for, for research because I do believe it is, it is one of those diseases that we will see cured in our lifetime. Um, and I think the, you know, technology and the science and just all of the brilliant minds, um, that are, that are behind it can, can cure MS and, um, make, you know, tangible change in, in everyone's life. But like you said, it's, it's challenging because of the nature of the disease. It's so different the way that, that it impacts people's lives. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of you for, your work and, and positivity on it. Um, that's amazing. And I think that that, that does huge for your mental health um, around, around the diagnosis and making sure that you're working with your doctors and having your treatment plan, you know, that's, yeah. that's benefiting you and not letting it be a thing that defines you. You know, that's huge for, for my friend too, that, um, you know, she, she lives with it and she deals with it and she has flare ups occasionally, but, um, it is something that she doesn't let limit the things that she accomplishes and, and the meaning that she finds in her life. That's so interesting because you, you know, when you buy a new car and you're, and you say, I love this car, 
and then you get on the road and you see a whole bunch of that same car. Yeah. It's all over the place. Yeah. Since I've shared with different people about my um about this, I've found so many people that have either been directly impacted by it or have had great friends or family members. And they probably would have never shared that if I mm-hmm. didn't share what was going on with me. Yes. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this is a big community. It really and is. A lot of people that's been involved in, in your comment about the disease. It's interesting because the same group who helped develop the vaccine are the same group that is helping to develop a cure for MS. Oh, I didn't know that. Using the same mRNA sequence that they used to develop the Mm -hmm. vaccine for COVID. And I was saying to myself, wow, what a beautiful thing that they will even probably get even more funding and energy around what they're doing. I even went out and I purchased some stock from them, which is not... Mm -hmm that I do on a regular basis. And I was saying to myself, this this is a beautiful thing. And everyone that I've met that's been impacted by it, they just, they just know that this is such a thing that we can really find a way to help people. And like I said, I've not met one person yet that's exactly my symptoms are sometimes okay. very prevalent. And sometimes, Emily, you can't tell. You just can't. And some people are very pronounced what they've got going on. So thanks again for joining the Creativity Cocktail. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to you joining us again. It's going I would to be, love that. That would be wonderful. This has been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who are out there, we're going to be having, uh, we're in our second year. We'll be having some celebrations throughout the year for all of the great work. If you're listening to us anywhere across the world, and we have had people listen to us as far away as Australia, and so if you're listening to us, please heed all of the words that Emily shared today. She has really shared a real great primer on how to make sure your creativity is part of your life and part of your journey. And um, I'm so glad glad to have her today. This is so amazing. So this is Winston with the Creativity Cocktail. You all, I hope you have a fantastic day. We appreciate you joining and we will talk to you all very soon. Thank you.